We live in a world that there are those that have and there are those that have not. Uh, those that have lots of, of money and those who really struggle. And that often becomes a tension of why does so many people have so much and, and, and so many people struggle. Uh, and in one of the issues that comes out of this a lot of times, you know, is these, these people with wealth, these big corporations and companies, these millionaires that may not end up paying their taxes like we think they should. In the sense of they, they find ways to figure out how to move their money around that they might not pay as much taxes as we think. And that becomes a real strain for people. Well, one of the things that we need to understand and keep in mind uh, is people with a lot of money can do something that people who don't have hire really good tax lawyers. Uh, they, they are people who find those loopholes in the system, who know how to shift the money around to basically save those people more and more money. So it's not really anything actually illegal that they're doing. It's just that they have people who take the time to figure out and invest in what's going on. Uh, so let me give you a couple examples of some of these tax loopholes. That way you're not completely out of it and you might be able to handle some of this yourselves. One of the popular ones that's happening uh, is, is the traditional versus Roth IRA. It's a retirement savings. More people have gone to the Roth because you get taxed as it goes in, um, but you don't get taxed after that. And so most people make more money. The, the, the issue is there's only a limit to how much you can put in. So people that have a lot of money have figured out a backdoor way. They, call it, they actually call it a backdoor Roth IRA where they will open a traditional IRA and then they will convert it to a Roth. And when it gets converted, that doesn't actually count against how much you're putting into your Roth IRA account. So if you have maxed out your Roth IRA, there's a simple way where you can sneak some of that in. Uh, another one, if anybody's been working from home now, did you know that you can actually claim your workspace as a business expense? So if you're working at your table, basically just measure you know, what your, the size of your table and then you can count that as a business expense. Uh, and if you rent out your house, uh, or, or rent out office space in your house, you could actually deduct things like landscaping as a business expense. So if you've been looking to get some stuff done on the property, there's an excellent way to do that. Uh, if anybody owns an animal, you could possibly figure out a way to count that as a business expense as well. So for instance, if I owned a junkyard and I purchased a dog for safety, I could actually write off the dog all of the food expenses uh, in my taxes. Uh, how many of you have pools? Anybody have a pool at their house? Okay, pools are expensive. Well, here's what I learned. If you can get a doctor to sign off that swimming would be therapeutic for you, you can write that off as a business expense. So, um, and for all of you super posh individuals out there, if you have a boat, that has a uh, sleeping quarters, a kitchen, and a toilet, you can actually claim that as your first or second house 
and write that off on business expenses, your tax expenses, kind of like you do with your mortgage insurance or your actual taxes. All right. So if you've got a big boat like that, or maybe you just need to set up a porter potty in there. I don't know how, what it is. Um, but those are all some loopholes that exist. So, so really what I'm telling you is, is my hope that next year is that we'll all come riding in on our fancy cars and gold watches. That's, that's really what I'm hoping for. Um, but, but I want to start with this because we're going to look at an individual by the name of Balaam today. And I, as I was researching and, and learning about Balaam, I thought, man, th this guy is like the tax lawyer that knows how to do it the right way. But the motive of what they're doing may always seem a little bit off. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Numbers chapter 22. We're in a sermon series called I Have Sinned, looking at different individuals in Scripture that have cried out to God uh, of their sins. But we know that when we cry out to God, not everyone is fully intent uh, of the heart of what they truly desire. And so to give you some backstory of where we're at in Numbers 22... They've, the Israelites have come out of Egyptian slavery. They've been wandering the desert. And as they're wandering the desert, they're passing through different pagan lands and, and people are encountering them. And in Numbers 21, they come to the land of the Amorites and they basically say, we just want to pass through. We're not going to cause you any problems. Just let us pass through. And instead, the Amorites choose to attack the Israelites. And in return, the Israelites end up defeating the Amorites. And so as they're continuing to wander, they come across the plains of Moab and the Midianites, and they're like, they're those Israelites. We heard what they did to the Amorites, and they get worried. And so they kind of combine together, and they make Balak the king of Moab, and Balak the king of Moab is looking for a way to essentially do harm to the Israelites. So he's worried about what these Israelites might do to him. And so that's what brings us to Numbers 22. Now we're gonna cover Numbers 22 to chapter 25. And what I'm gonna do first is I'm just gonna kind of go through it once as a kind of a, a general glance, more of a kind of just a surface level. Uh, and then we'll come back and begin to pull out the pieces. And the reason why I wanna do that, because this is one of those passages that if we just do a quick glance at the Bible, we could become very confused about our faith. We could feel that there are contradictions in the scriptures that may actually begin to have us question who God is. And if we don't take the time to do the diligent research, to, to, to really pray and think over it, we may begin to believe the lies and misunderstandings about God. And this is, this is a passage where the world could point at stuff and go, this is why your Bible doesn't make any sense. But we know the Bible makes complete sense. Sometimes we just need to do a little work to try to understand that. So we're going to go through it uh, first glance. And then I'll come back and I'll pull out some of those pieces. So Numbers 22, starting in verse 1. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Though Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the river in his native land. And Balak said, 
A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those who bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. And the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said, and I will bring you back to I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. And so the Moabite princes stayed with him. So they come to Balaam and they say, we know that you're kind of a prophet. Uh, We've brought some money. What we would like you to do is basically curse the Israelites because we're afraid of them. Okay, because we know that whatever you say can happen. So if you bless them, they'll be blessed. But if you curse them, they will be cursed and will feel much better. And so here's a bunch of money for you. And so Balaam says, "Okay, well, let me go inquire of God and see what it is that God wants me to do. So now Balaam's going to go. Verse nine. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that have come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them. Perhaps I will be able to fight and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. And the next morning, Balaam got up and said to the Balak princes, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me to go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. So Balaam inquires of God, says, God, these people have come. They want me to go. What do you want me to do? And he says, look, these are my chosen people. You cannot bless them. You are not to go with them. So Balaam says, fine, goes back to the the, the group. And he says, listen, I can't go with you. They go back. They tell Balak. And he says, that's not good enough. He sends more people, more princes. And basically, he's going to offer more money. And he comes back to Balaam a second time asking for the same thing. So we continue. Verse 18. But Balaam answered him, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. And that night God came to Balaam and he said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So they come back. Balaam says, look, I've already told you, no amount of money is going to get me to do what you want me to do. I can only do what God wants. But stay here. I'll go talk to God again and we'll see what God says a second time. So he goes, talks to God and God says, all right, since these men have summoned you, I want you to go with them. So now we're going to see what happens. Verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand, she turned off the road into a field and Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the two vineyards with walls on both sides. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam and he was angry and he beat her with his staff. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my right hand, I would kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. So Balaam's getting ready to go to meet Balak, hops on his donkey with his servants. The donkey sees this angel and keeps trying to avoid this angel, which is trying to now kill them. And Balaam doesn't see the donkey and so he, or see the angel. And so he's confused. And so he just keeps beating the donkey again and again. Basically, like we're supposed to be going to see Balak. I don't understand what your problem is. And then the donkey starts talking. And the donkey's like, um, I've never done this before. You kind of need to, to trust me here uh, of what's going on. And, and Balaam's completely fine with this talking doggy. Okay. Okay. So verse 31. Sometimes the Bible can seem a little odd even to us. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord had asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. And if she had not turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now. But I would have spared her. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I have not realized you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, to, to just do a quick summary now of chapters 23, 24 and, and 25, because I, I don't want to read all of that. Balaam goes he meets Balak, the king of Moab, but he, he tells him, he says, look, I can only speak what God wants me to speak. Okay, I can't do anything else besides that. And so Balak takes him and he takes him three different times and he says, look, they're the Israelites. Curse them. And what does Balaam do? He turns around and he blesses them. And he takes him to another spot. Curse them. And Balaam blesses. And he takes him to another spot. Curse them. And Balaam blesses them. Because again, God told Balaam not to curse them, but only to bless them. So in, in chapter 24, Balak is a little frustrated with this. And in verse 10, it says, Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Listen, I brought you here. I was going to pay you really good money, but you refused to do what I want. So you're definitely not getting paid. Get out of my sight. And Balaam answers in verse 12. 
He answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything on my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I am going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in the days to come. He says, again, no amount of money was going to change what I was going to do. I already told you that. I don't know why you thought anything differently. But, but Balak, come with me and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And then in the rest of chapter 24, he basically says, here's this prophecy of destruction. Your people are going to be destroyed, Balak. And then we have this final part in chapter 25. To, to finish this off, so Balaam and, and Balak go their separate ways. He's prophesied destruction for Balak and his people. And then in chapter 25, verses 1 to 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before their gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So this the story of of Balaam concludes with the people of Israel worshiping their these foreign gods, engaging in sexual immorality and sin. And then later on in 25, God sends a plague. And at the end of 25, we've got 24,000 Israelites dead because of their sins. So as I said, this passage at first glance may not make a lot of sense, and we may feel very confused. So let me just highlight a couple points you might be thinking of confusion. One, why is there a talking donkey? Okay, we don't experience that. Two, it seems like there's a, a lot of issues here and contradictions between God's prohibition and permission for Balaam. Because he tells him not to go in verse 12, and then he tells him to go in verse 20. And then when he goes, he gets angry at him and he tries to stop him on the donkey. And then after he stops him, he says, well, should I go? And the angel's like, no, it's okay to go now. So is God confused about what he's supposed to be doing? And Balaam goes and three times he blesses the people of Israel. But why do I have this feeling that somehow Balaam did something wrong in this process? Because on surface level, it seems like he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he even confessed, I've sinned. And why did I bother to read the part in 25 about 24,000 Israelites dying? How does all of this fit together? And so again, this is why it's important that if I just left this and walked away, I think I probably would have done more harm to our faith than understanding who God is and who you are in Christ. So let's, let's work through some of these. So first off, the talking donkey. Yes, that is highly unusual. That is extremely weird. I've never had an animal ever speak to me in an audible voice that spoke English. So if I understand that, that must mean the Bible is false and incorrect because animals don't speak, right? Well, no, that's not true. Because see, here's what we need to remember. God is the author of all of creation. And God has established all of the natural rules of life where he said animals will not speak English to you. That is the law that I've established. 
But because God is God and is the author of everything, he has the right to supersede all of the natural laws that exist. And what do we call them? We call those miracles. God at any point has the right to do that because God is the one who created the laws and created this world. So if God wants an animal to start talking at any point, God can make that happen. Okay, so, so that, is, that is not something that we should look at and completely throw out the scriptures just because we say it doesn't fit to the laws. No, God works the laws. Okay, so that's the first part. Parts two and three about God being confused and did Balaam do wrong, they really kind of tie together. Because when Balaam is first approached about this and he consults God, in 20 to 18, God says, don't go with these men and don't put a curse on them. God said, here's what I'm telling you to do. Don't do this. Flat and simple. So they come back a second time. And Balaam says, all right, look, I told you no amount of money is going to change. I can only do what God wants. But notice that. What, is, what does Balaam do? Balaam says, but stay here, though. Let me go ask God a second time. Well, God's already told you what to do, Balaam, but you're choosing to ask God a second time. And this is what's really rather deceptive about what Balaam's doing. He's essentially going in with a mentality that if I keep badgering God, I'm going to get God to do what I want. Right. I mean, we, we many of us have children and we know how that works with our children. Right. They just keep asking and asking and asking until sometimes they wear us down and we say, fine, go ahead and do it. Right. And that's what Balaam's trying to do. But again, God has already said, Balaam, you are not supposed to go. So Balaam shouldn't have been asking God a second time in the first place. And here's the other part. The second problem is the way that he interprets God's answer. God again responds that since these men have summoned you, go with them. It seems pretty straightforward that God is saying go, right? Well, what we need to understand is that some of the translations have begun to add the word if, to help us have better understanding of what's really happening. Really what God was saying is, Balaam, you've come and asked a second time. If these men come to summon you, then it's okay for you to go. If, if these men have summoned you. But see, this is what, this is what Balaam has heard. Oh, well, these men already showed up. Clearly, God, they've already summoned me. Then that means I get to go. And so what does he do? He, he probably wakes up first thing in the morning, doesn't even give these Moabite princes a chance to come and talk to him again. And he's all dressed and ready to go. And he wakes them all up and he says, come on, guys. God said it's OK for us to go. Let, let's go. Let's get out of here before God wakes up. It's like the child who knows that he's not supposed to be hanging out with his friends. And what does he do? He, 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 he gently opens the door from outside and he knows his parents are all busy. And he yells, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Quick shuts the door and he runs off with his friends. And he says, my parents said, it's cool, guys. Let's get out of here. That's essentially what Balaam is doing. And this is why God is angry. And this is why he wants to destroy Balaam. But also, thanks to the goodness of God, he supernaturally intercedes with a miracle and he has his donkey talk to him. 
before he dies. So that might make more sense for the initial one, though, right? Because he said, don't go, and then he said, go. Okay, I probably get why he shouldn't have gone. But why the fact that after the donkey stops him, he asks, and he said, should I go? And, and the angel says, it's okay to go now. If God didn't want him to go, he should have had the angel say, no, God said, turn around right now. Well, listen, Balaam really wants to make this trip happen. Balaam is intent on meeting Balak, the king of Moab. And God wants us to desire him. But God is not going to force our desires upon him. And so God basically says, listen, Balaam, if, if you really want to go, I've told you not to. But if you really, really want to go, because you keep asking that I'm going to let you go. And you know what? This is not the first time that something like this has happened in Scripture. Remember when, remember when the, the, the Israelites wanted a king? And, and he sends the, the, the prophet Samuel and he says, look, tell them what's going to happen. And they're like, we still want a king. And Samuel is like, God is your king. You don't need a king. And God says, Samuel, just, just let him go. If that's what they want, then let him go. It's not going to go well for him. And we also see that in Romans chapter one. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They, they became fools in exchange for the glory of God, for the immortal God, for images they made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And God gave them over and their sinful desires of the hearts, the sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. God said, Your heart is bent for sin, and I'm telling you what is going to happen. You will find death and destruction. It will not be in your best interest. Your best interest is for you to continue to love and worship me. But if you're going to continue to clamor for something else, then I'm going to let you experience that. Because again, when we have a passion for sin, God's not going to stand in the way of that. But he will warn us and he will be merciful and he will be forgiving if we choose to come back. But if your heart wants to keep running down the road to destruction, in the end, God is going to give you judgment for that. So what you're saying, Adam, is that Balaam was wrong. Yes. But what about when he confessed? He said, I have sinned. Isn't it supposed to be perfect and fine that once we confess that God forgives and, and then God blesses us and everything's wonderful? This is where I think Balaam's confession does not entirely match the, a true confession of his heart. I, part of me thinks the only reason why Balaam actually confessed was for the beating of his donkey, not for everything else that was going on. He, 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 was, he was confessing because he didn't see the angel. I, I think that's part of it. But there's something much deeper at the heart of Balaam. Because see, his desire is really not for the Lord. His desire lies elsewhere. And again, he really wants to meet Balak for a reason. 
And that's why he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and even with the angel, he's like, should I go back? Again, that should have been a clear sign that, yeah, you should have turned around. The fact that you're asking the question is absolutely ridiculous. But this is where we pull the totality of Scripture into this story. In 2 Peter and Jude, they're talking about false prophets. And Balaam comes to that in the story. And it says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And Jude 11, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Remember, what is, what is Balaam? Balaam is a prophet for hire. His heart was not for God, but it was for riches and wealth. And this is where it gets worse now that we've exposed the heart of Balaam. This is where that 24,000 dead Israelites comes into the story. Because after he blesses them three times and Balak is like, get out of here, I don't want you. He says, I'm going to go, but come with me, I have something to tell you. And then he tells them this prophecy of destruction. But see, that's not the only thing Balaam told Balak. In Numbers 31, when, when God is getting his vengeance on the Midianites to destroy them, and the army comes back, here's what Moses says to the officers in Numbers 31. He says, have you allowed the women to live, he asked. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord. In Revelation 2.14 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Balaam pulls Balak aside and says, Look, if you really want to get these Israelites, I can tell you how to do it. And it's very simple you send in your women because they cannot resist the sexual lure that's going to happen. And if you send in your women, they will corrupt the Israelites and they will turn from their God and they will start to worship yours. And that's what happens in 25. That's why I read that to you. Because they, Balak took his advice, sends in the women, they commit the immorality. And then God says, because you have turned from me, I'm sending a plague to destroy you. And 24,000 are now dead because of the words of Balaam that he gave to Balak. So when we think about the heart of Balaam and when we think about his confession he knows how to follow rules. Balaam knows how to work the books. What, what, what is he trying to do? Balaam is really trying to backdoor God on this one. He says, look, Balak, I, I got to say what God wants me to say. 
But God didn't say, I couldn't say this to you. I'm not allowed to curse them, but I can show you how to do it. And so I think when Balaam sees that angel, I think that's a symbolic picture of his spiritual blindness that exists. That he couldn't really see what was going on in front of him. And he kept pushing and pushing for his own sinful desire. But I think Balaam is probably a lot closer to us than we think. Again, this may seem like one of those stories that I have no connection to this. I've never ridden a talking donkey. Nobody's ever offered me money to curse God's people. This is just a one-off story in the scriptures that's just there and I never have to worry about it. But I think we can be very double-minded in our faith. I think what we can do is very easily compartmentalize God. We put God in a box here and then we go live our lives over here when it becomes convenient and beneficial. I show up to church on my Sunday best And then when I'm not at church on Sunday, no one else is around. I just fit in with the culture around me because it's going to benefit me. It's going to bring me wealth and fame and power and popularity. It's going to make me feel good because I don't want to do this. We we serve in different capacities of ministry. And then we go hang out with our coworkers and we say, I hate those Christians. You know, we we have sports camp coming up and some of you will graciously volunteer for a week and you will tell kids all about who Christ is for a week and then you will go home and your life will look nothing like what Christ is. Because we like to play both sides of the fence, just like Balaam did. But if we play both sides of the fence... Those two worlds are going to collide at some point and it is only going to bring death and destruction just like Balaam brought to the Israelites. Now, that, that's, that's the harsh part of Scripture. That's the reality of truth that, yes, there are times where I will live one way and then I will conveniently live a separate way for my own self-interest. That's the hard part. But, you know, in this passage, we also see the goodness of God, because when Balak wanted to destroy God's people, when the world wants to curse us, God steps in and says, you will not touch my people. And what does he do? He blesses us in the face of evil. Because God is our father who loves us and has promised us that he is going to do good and right. And he is going to protect us because that is also the nature of God. And so if we are living this double life, if we are feeling that burden and that weight and that pressure where I just keep showing up to church and then I live like someone else, where in one spot I say I follow Christ and the next spot I say I follow the world and it's beginning to have that pain and that burden on you and it continues to weigh on your soul where you're like, I can't keep doing this. The good news is that God sent Jesus Christ to take that weight off of you. 
He sent Christ to the cross to relieve you of any pain or burden or double-minded thought that goes on and says, I will forgive you of all of the sins that you have done in this world by the shedding of the Son of, my, of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to live a double life anymore. Because I offer something greater and something better than anything that this world can promise. So if we are tired of the double life, if we are tired of living like Balaam, if we are willing to give up the double-mindedness for the single will of Christ, we will find the greatest riches and blessing more than anything this world could ever offer. And we will never, ever have to play both sides of the fence again because we belong to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I'm thankful, one, that you have brought illumination to something that could be great confusion. Lord, I'm thankful that there is a story where we see both sides of you. Again, we continue to see your holiness and your justice. A Lord of what you desire for us and our desi your desire is that we would have a heart for you and a heart for you is richly rewarded, God. But I pray for each one of us, including myself, Lord, that I, be, I am aware. Lord, let me see the angel before me that stands in my path that says you're going down the wrong road. Lord, I pray for a heart that has only a desire to serve and honor you, that I, I'm willing to look at the, the foolishness of this world and cast it aside and say, Lord, I am clinging to you. May we as believers continue to strengthen one another, to encourage one another. And may we heed to your word because Lord, failure to do so only brings destructive end. But praise and glory to you that you have sent your son to die for us, to redeem us from all of that. Amen.